0: We are today in week six of our series that we have called Entrusted, uh, where we have been studying some of the key doctrines of the Christian faith. And last week we uh, read from the Nicene Creed, which is the historic confession of the Christian church written and approved at the Council of Nicaea in AD 325. Now you need to understand, just to give you a little history lesson, before the Western Church, which is the Roman Catholic Church, and the Eastern Church, also known as the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, by certain regions in the world, before they went their separate ways in the great schism of A.D. 1054, they together held seven ecumenical or whole church councils, and the purpose of most of these councils was to address a heretical teaching that had crept into the church, usually having something to do with the identity of God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. And so the formal creeds produced by these councils really, the purpose of them was that they simply clarified what was the historic teaching of Christ and the apostles in a way that was clear and concise and corrective to the error of the day. But the problem, as it always is, was with heretics, just like with uh, any uh, rebel or rebellious child, was that heretics are always looking for loopholes to exploit. And so therefore, it was necessary for these councils to update the language of the earlier creeds to keep up with the heretics as they twisted what uh, was said in the earlier creeds to justify uh, the heretical teaching of their generation. So in a sense, hear this, in a sense, heresy helped the church because it forced the church to preserve the historic Christian faith in contemporary language. Because all it did, remember, all the creeds sought to do was to capture the teaching of Christ and the apostles in the language of their day so that they could address people who were teaching things that were just wrong. And so to give you a modern example of this, it would be the words that we use in our current statements of faith, to explain what we believe about the Bible, the doctrine of Scripture. Like historically, the word infallibility was used to state that the Bible was free from any falsehoods, any wrong teaching, or any errors in the original writings. Earlier generations of theologians viewed the words infallibility and inerrancy as synonyms. And so they would just use the words and all their doctrinal statements of the Scripture being infallible. However, in the midpoint of the 20th century, some theologians started affirming the infallibility of the Bible while saying at the very same time that the Bible contains errors. So the Bible's true, the Bible's infallible, but the Bible has errors in it. See, they taught that God had preserved as infallible the essential message, like the really important stuff, but not necessarily the details. And so in response to this, theologians who held to the historic teaching of Christ and the apostles started using a more technical word, inerrancy, to combat this latest falsehood, this latest false teaching. And so why am I telling you all this? Because you, church, need to be able to contend for the faith once and for all time entrusted to the saints. Like, though this is part of my call as a pastor, it is also part of your call as a Christian. Like, all of us need to be prepared to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So why am I telling you this? Because you are a theologian. Every one of you in this room. The question is, are you orthodox or are you a heretic? The doctrine we'll be covering this morning is pneumatology, also known as the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We first meet the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And of course, Genesis 1 is also where we get our first glimpse of the Trinity. In verse 26, God said, Let us. Who? Let us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make man in our image after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And so here is what the Nicene Creed says about the third person of the Trinity. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Like these words capture, once again, the historic teaching of, of both Christ and the apostles regarding the identity of God, the Holy Spirit. However, and you knew there had to be a however. In the State of Theology Survey, National Survey that was taken about a year and a half ago, 55% of evangelicals surveyed agreed with this heresy. Heresy number three. The Holy Spirit is a force but is not a personal being. 55% of evangelicals said, yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, the Holy Spirit is this, this force, this power that comes from, that emanates from God, but He's not a person. In fact, 10% were unsure about that, which means 65% of evangelicals are confused about the identity of the third person of the Trinity. Errors like this led to a church council held in Constantinople in the summer of A.D. 381, where they affirmed in perfect clarity that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have a single Godhead and power and substance, a dignity deserving the same honor and a co-eternal sovereignty. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a person to be known. Not a power to be used. Like we should not, we cannot as Christians think about the Holy Spirit like He was invented by George Lucas and given to the Jedi, right? Like the Holy Spirit is this force that you learn how to manage and control so that you can like command it in some way. No, the Holy Spirit is a person to be known, not a power to be used. He's a person to be obeyed, not a force to be harnessed. This isn't Star Wars. He commands us. We do not command Him. Like remember this sermon series is called uh, kind of a call to passionate orthodoxy. Like I said in the very beginning, I don't want to simply get you to think rightly about doctrine. I want to change the way you feel about doctrine. Like we dare not, we dare not be apathetic about the Trinity. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. Like a few years ago, probably 17, 18 years ago, I was having uh, lunch with an elder from another church in Austin. And we were discussing the Trinity. And then he asked me this question why should we make such a big deal about the details? And Guys, he was a friend of mine. I just wanted to slap him. Like, why should we make a big deal about the details as you talk about the personhood of God? The doctrine of the Trinity matters because God matters. This doctrine matters because this is how God has revealed Himself to us. And we should make it our lifelong goal to align what we believe about God with the reality of who He truly is. Like we should be on a journey. A theological journey every single one of us to search the scriptures, to study the creeds, to make sure that what we believe about anything aligns with what God has said. We should want to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So who is the Holy Spirit well, let's see what Jesus says about him. Uh, and you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. If you don't have one, we have few Bibles uh, underneath the seats in front of you. John chapter 14. Now I did say, let's see what Jesus says about him, not what Jesus says about it. I said, "Who is the Holy Spirit? Not what is the Holy Spirit? because the Spirit is a person? And in John uh, chapter 14 is where we are, but John 13-17 to has been often referred to as the upper room discourse because on the night before His crucifixion, just before His arrest, while Jesus was celebrating the Passover in the upper room with His disciples and later as they walked to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took considerable time to prepare His disciples for what was about to happen and to comfort them because of how confused and troubled they were in that moment. I mean, after all, He had just informed His disciples in John 13 that He was going to be leaving them. And so how do you comfort His these fearful disciples in this moment? Well, this is how Jesus did it. John 14, verse 16, He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Jesus promised them another Helper to replace the Helper that was leaving. Like Jesus was the first Helper and now He's going to send a second Helper. The word used for another literally means another of the same kind. Like Jesus promised that the Father would send them someone exactly like Him to be their helper. Someone of the same essence as Jesus. Like Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit will care for you exactly like I have cared for you. He will say the same kind of things. He will do the same kind of things. He will be with you in the same way that I have been with you. Like Jesus would not leave them as orphans in this broken world. And so, He has the Father send them the Spirit. The Father would send them another helper. The word helper there is the Greek word paraclete. Which I'm sure many of you uh, Bible folks know means one who comes alongside, like it's been translated elsewhere as comforter, counselor, advocate, and friend. Tony Evans describes the Holy Spirit this way. He says, He is God's provision in Jesus' place to meet you at your point of need. If you are depressed, the Holy Spirit can help you with encouragement. If you are discouraged, He can help you with new strength. If you are afraid, He can help you by calming your fears. If you are struggling, He can even ease the struggle. And if you are alone, the Holy Spirit can be your friend. Guys, just as a side note, how can you be apathetic about that? Jesus said, when I leave, the Father is going to send someone just like me to be with you and to be in you. Once again, in verse 16, He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. Like Christian, this like shouldn't be news to you, but the Holy Spirit lives inside your body. Like He dwells inside of you. God has made you a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. A few minutes later in this conversation with his disciples, as they make their way to the garden, Jesus tells them in John 16 verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Like I I remember, like, Having this (laughs) aha moment with this verse years ago and thought, like, how is that even possible? Like, I couldn't imagine anything better, anything cooler than actually getting to be with Jesus. Like, if any of y'all are watching, have y'all watched The Chosen? Right? So, if you watch The Chosen, like, you get caught up in that story and you think, how amazing would it be? To have been one of these disciples. To have just been an onlooker. To just get to see the ministry of Jesus up front like that. To be in His presence. Like what could be better than being with Jesus 24-7? Well, Jesus says, having the Holy Spirit. Like how is it to our advantage that Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came? Well, think about this, because while Jesus was on earth in His ministry for those 33 years, He was bound geographically. Like He could not be in but one place at one time. But when the Holy Spirit came, He could be everywhere all at once, and He could be within each believer at the same moment. Filling them, changing them, empowering them, comforting them, teaching them. Like according to Jesus, and we see this attested to by the history of the last two millennia, the coming of the Holy Spirit was supposed to change everything. And it did. Like when He came, He changed everything. I mean, we're here 2,000 years later hearing a sermon about the Holy Spirit because He changed the world. Like today, we have churches throughout the world, but we have Universities and hospitals and nurses and relief organizations and all of Western culture born out of the message of the Gospel brought with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, guys, we should love with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength the Holy Spirit. We should love and praise the Spirit with all that is in us because, hear this, the Holy Spirit is the One who applies the work of Christ to your life. I mean, the work of Christ still happened. His death on the cross and His resurrection, His payment for the sins of the world, and yet if it wasn't for the work of the holy spirit in your life you could care less it would be information or worst a myth or a fable i mean think about it without the holy spirit the lord the giver of life without the holy spirit you would be dead 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 like that would be your condition right now pastor michael talked about it a couple weeks ago right as he taught about the doctrine of mankind he looked at ephesians chapter 2 where it says right there like all of us all of us including paul were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked according to the pattern of this world, following the prince and the power of the air and the spirit still at work in the children of disobedience. Like that's who we were. That was our nature. And that was our activity. Like that was our spiritual condition. All of us were dead. But only the Holy Spirit can take the work of Christ and impart spiritual life and bring us to Jesus. Like in John 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a man who's a spiritual leader of Israel, a man named Nicodemus, who thought that his connection with God was based on his heritage and on his own goodness. And so Jesus told him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. See, this is what it means to be born again. My wife had an interesting conversation years ago with a pastor's wife from another church, a different denomination, and she said to Amy, like I'm a Christian, but I'm not like a born again Christian. To which Amy was like, is there any other kind? I mean, according to Jesus. Like that wasn't a a term invented by evangelicals in 1980. Like Jesus is the one who invented it. Jesus is the one who said, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Like this is the work of spiritual regeneration and it is necessary because dead folks never seek God. Never. Like God makes us alive. And according to Ephesians 2, He gives us the gift of faith. Like Ephesians 2 goes on to say that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God... But God, being rich in mercy, with the great love with which He loved us, even while we were dead, He made us alive. Like, Do you remember when that happened to you? Like that something just happened, the light came on you, you understood things that maybe you had heard all of your life, things that. Like they were important because maybe they were important to people that you loved, but they didn't really matter to you. And then suddenly they were the only thing that mattered to you. Like, where did that come from? Guys, that was the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. So you and I would be literally dead and lost without the power of the Holy Spirit, without His work on our behalf. And you know me, if you go to this church, I don't like to use the word literally, unless I mean it as literally. It's a pet peeve of mine. If you tell me that you're literally on fire, I will want to literally set you on fire, (laughs) right? Don't say that. But guys, we would literally be spiritually dead and lost without the work of the Holy Spirit. J.R. Packer asked this question in his book, Knowing God. Is the work of the Holy Spirit really important? And he says, important? Why were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel, no faith, no church, no Christianity in the world at all. Without the Holy Spirit, we would still be dead. Romans 3 tells us that no one seeks after God. But Jesus tells His disciples in that upper room di- discourse as they're making their way to the garden in chapter 16 verse 8 when the holy spirit comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment he says that the spirit of god will convict the world the word convict in context means to show someone his sin and summon him to repentance not simply say man you look at you you're the worst But to say, look at yourself, but look what God has for you. That's the work of the Spirit. Like He wakes us up to the three hard realities that we try to avoid all of our lives. Sin and righteousness and judgment. Like He brings us to an unescapable sense of our guilt so that we realize our need And then we are awakened by Him to the beauty of the Gospel. Once again, do you remember when that happened? Like I do. Like I remember when the things that I had heard for almost 18 years growing up in the South, in the Bible Belt, in a non-Christian home, but being exposed to it everywhere when all that terminology about Jesus and his death for my sins and the cross of Christ, how it in an instant made perfect sense. Like God just made it clear to me. And I went from being, guys, being completely indifferent, completely indifferent to Christ on the cross. To it being the only thing in the world that mattered to me. Right now, if you know Jesus, like if you really know Christ, you need to take a second and just thank the Holy Spirit because He did that. Like in Acts chapter 16, we have a record of Paul sharing with a group of women the message of. The gospel. And it says of one of these women, Lydia, that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. Like, I remember um, as a young pastor reading a book by R.C. Sproul called Chosen by God. And in that book, he asked the question why did you believe and your neighbor hasn't? And I thought, whoa, yeah, why? Like, why, why did I believe the gospel? And at least up to that point in time, none of my siblings had trusted Christ. Like, was I smarter than them? Well, I thought so, sure. You know, was I m- more moral than them? Well, yes. I mean, I was. And yet, Scripture tells us that by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And that this, not of yourselves, is a gift of God, not of works. Intellect, morality, church attendance, trying harder, being good. Not of works so that no one can boast. Why had I at that moment in my life believed in Jesus and my brother Frank had not? Well, a lie had come on for me but who flipped the switch? It wasn't me. It wasn't my training. It wasn't my seeking heart after God. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, I would still be dead spiritually. And without the Holy Spirit, you would still be clueless spiritually. And so would I. Jesus says in John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Have you experienced the guiding of the Spirit of God? Can I just tell you for me, anything good in my life, any good choices that I have made, anything of eternal value at all is because of the work of the Spirit of God in changing me, in wooing me to Himself, and in speaking truth, illuminating the Word to me. Jesus said in John 14.26 that the Helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Like, when was the last time you heard the voice of the Spirit of God? When was the last time you asked for it? When was the last time you sat in quiet like stillness before the presence of God after meditating on His Word and thought and said, Holy Spirit, speak. Father, what do You want me to do? Where do You want me to go? What do You want me to say? Lord, speak. Like when was the last time the Spirit taught you something? When was the last time the Spirit of God brought something to your memory that you needed in that moment? Like the Spirit... Takes the things of Christ and he makes them real to us. Paul tells the church of Philippi, I know, like I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to complete that which he has begun until that day. Like he knows he's confirmed in that, he's solid in that because of the work of the Spirit. The Spirit takes the Bible and makes it clear to us through illumination. The Spirit takes the circumstances of our lives and He gives us insight into those. And the Spirit takes our hardships and He uses those to mature us. Without the Holy Spirit, you would still be absolutely clueless. And so if you have a clue at all, take a moment and thank the Holy Spirit. See, without the Holy Spirit, you would still be apathetic. You would still still have no affection and no passion for Christ. The Holy Spirit always makes much of Jesus. Like I was telling my son that as I was preparing for this sermon, I was praying, Holy Spirit, what do You want me to say about You? And I told him, I'm kind of like, I know where I'm studying. I I know where I'm going in the sermon. But as I pray that, I'm really confident of what the Spirit will say. Make much of Jesus. Because that's what the Spirit does. Like Jesus said of the Spirit in John 16 14, He will glorify me for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. And then He told His disciples in John 15, 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. The Holy Spirit functions as a floodlight aimed directly at Christ. And so do you love Jesus? Well, if you do, you need to thank the Holy Spirit for that. I guess you hear sermons and are moved. Like last week, I talked to a number of people who were moved by the description of the eternal Son of God. Why were you moved? Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Stirring new affections in our heart for the things of God and for Christ Himself without the Spirit we would still be apathetic. Like we would have no affection for Christ and we would have no affection, no passion for the things of God. The Holy Spirit changes us at our very core. He gets to the heart of the issue. Like Jesus said in John 7, 38, He said, Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Now, what's interesting about this, what Jesus says here is he says, He who believes in me as the Spirit has said. Well, where does it say that in the Bible? Like the exact words Jesus has used. Like where does it say that? It doesn't say it anywhere. It's not a quote, it's a summary of what God promised through the prophets, especially especially Jeremiah and Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, it says, God speaking, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules have you experienced that like do you have new affections like does it has it ever dawned on you like hey i'm i'm doing this because i want to like not because my wife or husband are looking on or my parents are going to find out or bobby's going to you know use me in a sermon illustration as a bad guy Like I'm doing this because I want to. Like I'm reading the Bible because I can't get enough of it. I'm praying. Like I'm praying because my Father is listening. Like where does that confidence come from? Where does that life change come from? Where do those affections come from? They are the work of the Spirit of God. Have you experienced that? Has the Holy Spirit changed your want to? Like, have you had a moment where you realized, I don't want to do this stuff anymore? Like, like the Holy Spirit has put my tongue out of taste of all the idols of this world. Guys, without the Holy Spirit, we would be apathetic. And without the Holy Spirit, we would be powerless. (laughs) Powerless. And yet Jesus promises disciples in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Like the Spirit is the one who gives us the words we need in the moment according to Jesus in Mark 13 and Luke 12. Like when we need the words to speak, a witness for Him, the words will be provided in that moment. So don't worry. Like I think about going to India for the first time when I was 25 years old. Like we, had, we arrived in India after 24 hours of travel. Like we had been in the uh, Mumbai airport overnight guarding our luggage so it wouldn't be stolen. We made our way to Bangalore And we got back like we had not slept for a full day. And when we got there, the head of the mission agency said, okay, you take rest. And we thought, good. And he says, and I will come get you in one hour and then we'll go to ministry. (laughs) I'm like, one hour? Like, I mean, I was asleep in like 30 seconds. It's my gift. But an hour later, I was on a bus with some stranger who I didn't know, he wasn't one of the ministry leaders, sitting in my lap in a packed bus with people hanging off the side, heading to a ministry site, not knowing what we're facing. Like we, like at the time, I'm thinking, we're just going to be observers until he turns to us and says, so which of you will bring the Word? And I'm not the leader of the team, so I just looked. to... My, my buddy here, and I think, well, obviously it's you, but nobody brought a Bible except me. And so my team leader said, I guess that's a sign from God. <laughs> that's what lazy people say. <laughs> and so we show up at this ministry site, like in the slums of Bangalore, with all these Hindus and some Muslim women who come like to hear like, from the Westerners. And I pull out my Bible and begin to read and begin to teach And about 25 people came to faith. How is that even possible? Because my, I've fumbled all over myself, I'm sure. Like this was not a sermon you want on a podcast passed around the world. And yet God used it because it was His Word. God empowered His witness. And He gave me the words to say in that moment. I just think about... November of 1987, when I went home from college break, and I went with this, guys, this calm assurance that this is the weekend that my mom's going to get saved. I just know it. I'd shared with the, the gospel with her so many times but I just knew like this is it. I had people praying for me, professors praying for me, everybody on my hall. I got home and I don't even know how the conversation got started. It was just immediately we went from like Things happening right here, right now. Things we're watching on TV. To eternal things and heaven and hell and where you stand with Christ. And God moved in her heart and my very moralistic mom said for the very first time, Bobby, I don't think I'll ever be good enough to be a Christian. See, the roadblock up to that point had been that she was so good she didn't think she... She she needed what I had. And in that moment, she said, I don't think I'll ever be good enough to be a Christian. My mom, a couple years earlier, had been diagnosed with a pretty severe case of emphysema, had been given five years to live. So when your mom says, Bobby, I don't think I'll ever be good enough to be a Christian, what do you say? I didn't know what to say. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit gave me the words to say. And I said, Mom, you're right. You're right. You will never be good enough to be a Christian. And that's why God had to send his son. Because left to ourselves, none of us would ever be good enough. But God sent His Son into the world to take the punishment for people like us. And within five minutes of that statement, I was kneeling before my mom and she was praying with me to ask Jesus to forgive her and to be the Lord of her life. Guys, without the Holy Spirit, we would still be powerless Absolutely powerless. And then finally, without the Holy Spirit, we would still be fatherless. I love this statement by Paul in Romans chapter 8. He says, For we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit capital S of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Guys, in your moments of hopelessness, in your times of trial, when you have just failed miserably, that's when you can cry out, Abba, that intimate word used nowhere before Jesus started using it of our Heavenly Father, you can cry out, Abba, help me. Forgive me. And in that moment, you can sense that sweet assurance as the Spirit of God Himself bears witness with your spirit that you belong to the Father. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that we belong to You. Father, we are Your sons and Your daughters. Not because of church attendance or morality or cleaning up our act or being better than anybody outside these walls. We know none of that is true. But we are Your sons and daughters because Your Spirit has taken dead people and made them alive, taken clueless people, apathetic people, hopeless people, faithless people, fatherless people, and adopted them into Your own family. Holy Spirit, You did that for us. For those who know You in this room, we have that in common. We have You in common. We have this table in common. Father, I thank You that You have adopted me into Your family by the power of Your Spirit so that I can come to the family dinner table and remember the sacrifice of Christ that made that possible and know that the reason that sacrifice means anything to me on a subjective level is because the Spirit has brought life out of death passion out of apathy and indifference and hope out of despair and adoption out of being an orphan in this world. Holy Spirit, thank You. Lord Jesus, thank You. Father, thank You. Bless now this supper for Your bride, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.